In our current society, we as young adults are constantly exposed to a wide range of phenomena that shape our experiences. We are consistently challenged by social norms and mainstream media to conform to a variety of unrealistic standards. We Are Talking is a forum for young adults to get together to discuss the options we are given and the choices that we make. Led by international film and television icon Annette Wolf, an expert in documentary and posing substantial questions, and with the support of the University of King's College, We Are Talking seeks to bring together young minds and promote insightful discussion on a variety of topics that are becoming increasingly relevant to our daily lives. In this edition, We Are Talking questions the portrayal of bodies in the media and highlights concerns about the effects of this on people everywhere. We are the generation who has had enough. My name is Ian Kenny, and I would like to say that if you are experiencing any anxiety about these issues, please reach out and talk to someone. This is We Are Talking. I think most of us have experienced standing in front of a mirror and looking at our reflection, not knowing exactly who we are and what we want. We're confronted with that question many times as we go through life. When we come into this world, we are all beautiful, vulnerable beings. As we have no say over the parents we are given, we can only hope they will provide us with the love and protection we all need and deserve. Life should be about love, achievements and joy, but it often turns out to be a capricious and painful experience. We are bombarded 24-7 with seductive commercials, with fairy tale scenarios. These subtle messages can make young people feel irrelevant and lost, which leads to a life of depression. We must all learn to respect, protect and care about our body and mind. Then we are prepared to do battle with the world outside the door. Do not remain silent. Talk to people you trust. This will help you discover who you are and who you truly want to be. What you experience as young people will leave you both with good and bad memories. But through my long life I have learned, if you grow to like what you see in that mirror, you will get to live the life you're meant to live. Catherine. Perfect. So we're just going to go around the circle now, uh, introduce ourselves, uh, and then we're going to start the conversation. Uh, so my name is Catherine. I'm Katie. My name is Dina. I'm Cameron. I'm Connor. I'm Matthew. And I'm the wolf. <laughs> my name is Emma. And my name is Ian. Um, so I'm going to start off the conversation. I want you to think about the last time you were waiting in line at the pharmacy or the supermarket and looked over at the magazines, dotting the rack of impulse buys beside the cash. Just hoping to pass the time, you scan the technicolor variation of gossip rags, fitness mags, and fashion tabloids. Think about what the bold type on those covers screamed at you. Did they tell you to lose weight fast while still eating foods you love? Did they promise insight into the male mind, because we all want to know why he really didn't text you back? Did they offer free supplements to help you bulk up? Did they whisper seductively that they held the secrets to the best sex of your life? More importantly, did you believe them? Now think of the people. Superimposed over a background in a headache-inducing color, the bodies represented on these magazine covers are, quite frankly, ridiculous. Female bodies are tall but not freakish, athletic but not muscular, with hair an appropriate length and color to be twisted into any conceivably fashionable style. Male bodies are mountainous, an array of muscle that is not only impossible but borderline repulsive. 
a strong jaw and smoky eye, like Fabio on the cover of some $5 erotic novel. It's eye candy. It's brainwashing. When was the last time you ever looked at a magazine and thought, these people look like me? They represent me and the vast majority of people in the world. They are a realistic image to aspire to. When was the last time you saw yourself on a magazine cover? And it's not just magazines. Mainstream media is bursting with these messages of inadequacy. Nobody looks like these people do, not even them. And we all know that. We've all seen those videos that show you how Photoshop works. But even the knowledge that this is fantasy isn't very comforting when you're faced with a barrage of programs specifically designed to tell you that there's something wrong with you. The effects of these messages on an individual can range from confusing to disheartening to devastating. So let's talk about it. Thank you. Um, so we read a few articles in preparation for this meeting, uh, and one of them was about how uh, body image issues start as young as it can go. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to start for me with a personal story because um, I know I, I've had discussions with people about this and it seems like everyone's had a sort of similar experience in some way uh, but I remember being about, uh, well it started when I was like 10 and continued on for years uh, but people would come up to me and say one day you're going to be beautiful uh, and I just remember looking in the mirror and thinking, when does that start? Uh, and people didn't mean it as an insult, but it really warped my perception of beauty and, and of what I look like and what other people look like. Uh, and I, I'd look at my older sisters and I would see them wearing makeup and dresses and I thought, that's, that's what it is. Uh, and I didn't know how to get there. Um, and, and to think that that started uh, you know, before I even hit puberty, I think is alarming. It's quite alarming. I think that one of the greatest challenges that I've had in my life was having a very, a drop-dead beautiful mother <laughs> who kept on saying to me, you know, you're never going to be even pretty. I know you, 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 you've, got, you've got a certain energy, but pretty, beautiful, no. Then my father would come in who loved me and said, don't worry about that. Always remember, you're intelligent. Starting off from that point in life, saying to yourself all the time, you've had it. You're never going to make it. You are not pretty. You are not going to be beautiful. But you've got to be brainy. So what does one do? One studies till the cows come home. And over and over again, it's about that message. You know, as Catherine was just talking about, you get a message, subconsciously, it's there burned in, into your brain for most of your life. And you are now talking about, to someone, or I'm talking to you being 77 years old. It's still there. When I pass a mirror, yeah. So be mindful, that was what I said in my little introduction, be mindful of liking what you see in the mirror because you are a very special human being. That's what you are. Never mind what the world tells you. I really like this. I want to talk about this idea of um, beauty. I think everyone's probably familiar with that Dove campaign mm -hmm. um, about real beauty. 
and um, often they have advertisements featuring usually, um, you know, usually women that fit the status quo of beauty, white and skinnier, but they also include um, other, you know, models that are larger, models from different races. And I think one of the biggest pushbacks to this campaign was, um, well, Dove is saying, everyone is beautiful, you can see your beauty. And I think a really big counter argument to that is why do we have to be beautiful? Maybe everyone's not beautiful and maybe that's okay. Maybe beauty is not where we find our value and maybe beauty is not something so central to us. But at the same time, you know, as humans, I think we're also programmed to see, you know, symmetry and beauty in a certain way. And it's really hard to get past that. So is it better on the one hand to say beauty doesn't matter, beauty is irrelevant, or is it better to say as much as we try, we're human beings, we're going to look at things superficially to an extent. And so everyone should try to appreciate the beauty that's in them. It's like this big question. Actually, you guys have. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that commercial. Um, they have one uh, version of the commercial called the beauty sketches where they'd have mm -hmm. people come in and they'd um, describe what they think they look like and then a person would sketch that and then someone else who met them earlier would describe what they thought she looked like, and then they'd sketch her. And um, they showed the comparisons between the two sketches when the, one um, when the woman herself described herself. She was kind of given sort of, her, the features didn't really fit into the you know, fairly standard version of beauty as much as the other people saw her. And the message of the commercial was kind of that um, you're not as ugly as you think you are. Like it wasn't even really about that you should be content with being whatever you look like, because the features which the other people used to describe her, which were apparently better, they're like thinner face, um, you know, bigger eyes, or um, more like a symmetrical nose or something like that. So it wasn't so much that you're fine the way you are, it's like you're not as ugly as you think you are. Right, which is still propagating these ideas, big eyes, thin face, yeah. still yeah. the same beauty mm -hmm. ideals, right? So that's what's confusing mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. The other thing about um, Dove and its beauty campaigns is Dove is actually owned by the corporation Unilever mm -hmm. and Unilever also owns Axe mm -hmm. and if you look at some of the Axe ads their images of both men and women are very made up and beautiful and over the top, hugely over the top. Not to mention borderline problematic and extremely sexist. Right, so we have to wonder whether Dove's real beauty is just a marketing tactic meant to oh, give them positive, like, branding. <laughs> or, yeah, I think so too. For sure. Which kind of sucks. I think the language you used was, was interesting when you were talking about, um, you know, you're not not pretty, like that double yeah. negative. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot of reading about sort of the influence of positive and negative language, and telling <coughs> someone they're not ugly is not yeah. <laughs> not the same as telling someone they're beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's okay to not be ugly, but you're never gonna feel good just feeling not ugly. You you know, I think everyone in their own way wants to feel, you know, beauty and wants to feel that sort of admiration. And so to, to be okay with being not beautiful or not ugly or, or whatever, I think the negativity still still sits there even if you're trying to say a positive thing. And I think that also can tie a lot into just talking about like body image and young children. In the article that we read, the person who wrote the article talked about how they've heard kids call each other fat and it's the go-to word when you want to hurt someone's feelings. 
I got called fat a lot when I was younger um, and it really harmed me a ton um, and people sort of it seems now looking back it, it seems like such a harmless word such a harmless thing and if I ever use the word fat and still when I use it um, in like association with myself I don't use it in a negative way but if I ever use that word in association with myself I find it makes other people uncomfortable and they'll say oh well you're not fat and it's that sort of again like double negative like the you're not ugly it's like and it sort of again brings up this problem with like it's like there's a problem mm -hmm. with being fat or there's a problem with not being beautiful whatever that means mm -hmm. and I just think it's so interesting that fat has so much power in our culture like that's the worst thing you can be it's the worst to be fat it's worse than being spiteful or rude or cold or mean-spirited like fat is the worst thing you can ever be i think it's interesting that you would link like that you're bringing up both um mental qualities in connection with this fat thing because one of the articles that we read also talked about how um, I think it was one of the articles we read talked about um, a lot of doctors yeah. would see fat people as lazy, unmotivated. And like worthless, generally. Yeah. And like not worth treating. Yeah, and it comes from the conception that if you're eating well and if you're treating your body well, then you're going to be this size and this is what a healthy body looks like. I think that's one of the biggest things. Healthy bodies is, again, like varies based on the person. Yeah. And like some people are really healthy and really skinny and some people are really healthy and like a little bit bigger and some people are really healthy and look like it like maybe not exactly like a magazine cover but that's you know mm -hmm. and like I just think we need to love ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we just know everyone to love ourselves. I completely agree with that because I know there's campaigns going on that like like zero is not a size but it is a size. It is like a size. for some girls they don't have <laughs> You know they're just they're made that way or they're still healthy they can't help it that they're skinny you know what I mean so that I, I agree with that like it's it's about being healthy not zero is not a size or if you're you're overweight or whatever it's as long as you're healthy then it doesn't really matter and I think it's important to like erase like Matt was saying erase this concept of what it looks like yeah. to be healthy and just allowing people to sort of exist in their own way and not kind of body police people with this sort of facade of oh but i'm concerned about your health mm -hmm. because it's like people see complete strangers on the internet and go oh well they can't be healthy when really it's just my body makes you uncomfortable is what you're saying right and that applies to people at like either end of the spectrum it's there's this very narrow definition of what it's okay to look like I had a very kind of scary experience when I was younger. I was very, very sick for about two or three years in a row. And uh, for that time, I went around and I was basically a walking bundle of skin and bones. And I thought that I was the ugliest person on the planet, right? But the funny thing is that people would, wouldn't think that. Even though, like, you look at my photos now, and they're not attractive pictures, and you can tell that I'm really sick. But what I would get a lot of comments was, oh, I wish I was as skinny as you. Oh, how can I be your size? And I was, I was about, like, 9, 10, 11. And for people to be wanting to be as skinny as I was, and I was where I was really ill, 
Like, that's a huge problem. And for me, when I started to get healthy, I started to freak out because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting fat. What is happening? Whereas all that was really happening was that I was better and it was a really strange adaptation. I can kind of agree with that because a lot of people, when I was younger, I was even more like petite. Like when I was 12 or whatever, I looked younger than I was. A lot of people used to call me anorexic. Like it was just this thing at school, like, oh, Dina, like she's anorexic. And for some reason, it didn't seem like an insult, but it was an insult. It was just like, like, and if I confronted my friends about it, they'd be like, yeah, but it's a good thing. Like we all want to like, we want to look like you. And I'm like, yeah, but you just called me anorexic. Like that's <laughs> yeah. a sickness. That's like, that's not, I'm healthy and I eat well. It's just, that's the way my body's been. And so. It's, it's just funny how being anorexic, like it's not as much of an insult as people like see it. So. I had a friend uh, who I grew up with who had body um, dysmorphic um, and she, she was kind of the opposite of your typical eating disorder. When she looked in the mirror, she didn't see someone who was too fat and who needed to lose weight. She saw someone who was too skinny. And so as a result, she was constantly eating carbs and, and things and, and, you know, like beefing up with shakes and things because she thought that she was too skinny and people made fun of her because when she would try to explain it as an eating disorder, the first reaction was, no, you're, you're fat, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't understand that body image doesn't work just in anorexia. Um, and I think a similar thing that I've come into contact with, especially since coming to university, is um, gender and body image um, because I, I have friends, I have male friends who have uh, been or who you know gone through phases and been anorexic and um, people laughed at them. They didn't think it is a male disease. They don't think it's possible for you know a guy to feel that way. But um, I think it's insane that we live in a society today where uh, people don't believe someone is genuinely ill or genuinely needs help when uh, when you know we're bombarded with all these things and it's clear that there's a message going out it's how it's impossible to almost not feel that way when we met last time and talked on the topic of, of gender in this when we met last time and talked uh, it was brought up that beauty standards and beauty norms have historically been quite different for men and women and uh, I, as a man, would just like to focus for a second on the, um, as Emma was saying, the very unrealistic male body that is also represented in the media and has been um, for actually thousands of years. If we were talking last time about looking at uh, Greek sculpture and at uh, ideals, how the ideal male really hasn't changed from the um, just past uh, you know, to be the young adult male with uh, kind of, you know, like a rippling body and uh, like flowing wonderful hair. And it's an image that is carried on into our society today. And I think what's interesting though is that the representation of the female body, Matthew, you were talking about this last time, mm -hmm. has changed a lot uh, throughout the course of history from ancient fertility goddesses to, you know, a runway model who. Uh, looks like they do today and I think that that's another very interesting thing when we're talking about how bodies are represented and how there's kind of a stagnation in the representation of the male body but uh, the female body seems so much more 
people try to play with it more and they try to make it fit whatever design they want most. I find that a very interesting trend too. The other interesting thing about um, female body image right now is that if you look at runway models and you compare them to the actors, or I should say actresses, that we see on screen and on TV shows, they actually don't look alike whatsoever. Like, the people that you see on TV and in movies, they look like very attractive people. Whereas, if you look at some of the runway models, especially with whatever makeup or clothes the designer has put on them, some of them don't even look human at points. It's kind yeah. of creepy. They're coat hangers. Like, yeah. they're, they're like little like things of bone that people can hang their clothes on to like bring the least attention to the body and the most attention to the clothes with just like having the like actual person fade into the background and not even be relevant. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's a total shame um, that real people are treated that way and I think it kind of sucks that then like if we're talking about body positivity like when we're doing that we kind of are like talking about real people and sort of like hating on them inadvertently yeah. mm -hmm. because this is what society has made them into and this is what like the modeling industry has made these people into like you said Matt, with the coat hangers right and that's a huge shame because they are real people and like modeling is their profession mm -hmm. i also think it's interesting like a lot of the stories that people have been telling have involved um people giving compliments to them that were then taken, or not taken in the wrong way, that had good intentions, but then like had a different effect for the person. And I just think that is such a testament to the fact that there is a lot for us to overcome, but I also think at, like, at their heart, a lot of people just have good intentions and just aren't aware or aren't educated mm -hmm. of the fact. And like, again, this is why we're having talks like this, because people, people want to do well, you know? When someone says, like, I want to be skinny like you, they really don't mean to like hurt you. They have good intentions, they just don't understand or they haven't thought about how that might seem from a different perspective. So I think that we're giving all our perspective here is especially valuable. Mm -hmm. And a really interesting thing that was brought up before we set up today, uh, actually you brought up, was the, um, the, in these articles that we're reading, there's no direct scientific correlation between the representation of a body one way in the media and its effect on someone. And Though that seems like a point of contention, it's actually hugely problematic because a lot of people cite this, what we're talking about today, as not really being an issue because there's no hard proven fact. But if you talk to people and get to know them and ask them these sorts of pointed questions, you'll understand that based on their own history, these are hugely influential things, whether it comes from a family friend or a mother or a TV ad, in our society, they all carry, in some way, equal amounts of weight. And I think the moral of the story there is that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I think I, I mentioned the last time we met, I put the question, when did all this begin? Because as a World War II child, I mean, we didn't get anything to eat. And when we finally came out of the war in 1945 and we got real food, a banana was the biggest luxury ever. We were all not discussing these things. We were not looking at these things at all. 
there were still advertisements, as we called them in those days. We didn't have television commercials yet, but we had advertisements and we had posters. Of, but those were happy housewives and happy kids on their way to school uh, with their lunch boxes and things. And suddenly it sort of became more and more evident as we came into the 60s and we got out of the 60s into the 70s and Twiggy hit. Twiggy hit. That was the moment where everybody said, oh, I'm fat. And they forgot to ask that poor Twiggy was born that way. She could eat till tomorrow and would never put on one gram, right? And that's why I'm always asking, where did this lunacy begin? And it is money. It is money and money and misusing and taking advantage. That's what it is. And that's why I call it cruelty. Some really excellent points were brought up the last time we spoke about uh, selling bodies as, uh, you know, making an industry around uh, looking beautiful and the beauty industry and the creation of this, um, <coughs> primarily on Madison Avenue. But uh, I found that a very interesting point of conversation. Yeah, like I think there was, to like it was what people forget and what doesn't, what makes, I think, body image issues different in many ways from um, issues about gender and patriarchy and stuff like that is that it was, like, designed. Like, mm -hmm. like after, after World War II, um, a lot of uh, executives and people in the government were concerned about starting up the economy, right? We want to stimulate the economy, we have to get things going. And so there was, like, a consumerist manifesto, I don't remember who it was, but basically it was, like, people have to buy. And that's what that's what fuels so much of the body image problems of today is like the advertisements, right? That's what it is. And it's because there's money there. There's so much money in exploiting people's insecurities. Mm -hmm. And I just think the fact that, I mean, the good thing is that then being conscious of that, you can, like we talked about last week, vote with your dollar and that's a very accessible way that people can directly sort of affect how much body image stuff is like in the consumer culture. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that um, goes even for like far into children even because um, I see I, I watch Spongebob Squarepants and that's on a kids channel right and uh, I see lots of commercials on that show where um, they're for acne products that like, get rid of your acne and they'll show people with, like I get all these breakouts and they have one or two pimples maybe and then they <laughs> use the acne product and then it's all gone and so if you one and two one or two pimples is a problem then having you know a fairly normal amount of pimples as in you know like most people would get after going through a puberty <laughs> And that, that's obviously a horrible problem, and you have to get rid of it. It's so. a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's even really, like, they're even advertising sort of beauty products to children now. Absolutely. Right. Proactive. Yeah, it's yeah, that's, that's the huge. Yeah. Yeah, it it's widely used. And I know people, when I went into my first year of university, my roommate was using Proactive. I never used it. And um, she'd been using it since before puberty. It's a drug. I... I use it. I started using it when I was 16, and every time I've tried to stop taking it, I break out, and, and now I have this mental block. Hmm. I Like two months ago, I, was, I made my clean cut, I'm not gonna buy it anymore, and then two nights ago, I bought another one. Uh, but because I have this, this fear, and still, you know, I'm 23, I'm happy with myself, I'm happy with who I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well established in the things I do, and I'm pretty confident, 
but then I think about like, oh no, if I stop taking this, mm -hmm. I'm gonna have a breakout and it's gonna look ho like horrible and it's like, you know, it's gonna be the only thing I think about. And it's really telling about, about how much we buy into those mm -hmm. things personally and uh, as an advertising scheme and, uh, mm -hmm. and how much we rely, we come to rely on products or um, whether it's a Bowflex or, <laughs> or proactive to try and look a certain way. Emma last week spoke about the history of cellulite, oh, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Yeah, just in keeping with this concept that you exploit people's insecurities. Um, in 1960, Vogue magazine invented cellulite. Before um, this like spring issue of Vogue was released, cellulite, it's like that cottage cheese-esque looking fat that you get on your bum and thighs or wherever else that normal people get. Everyone gets it. Um, uh, it was just normal fat. It didn't have a special name. But then it got a special name and then it came with a special cream that you can buy to get rid of it. And I've bought those creams um, and like used them religiously and thought that putting a gel on the outsides of my legs <laughs> would like solve a, a like problem, which isn't really a problem, but would solve something that was like on the interior of my skin. Mm. It's a weird concept, but um, yeah, it's toxic and it's addictive. This idea that there's a really quick fix for something. I saw a cream advertised in like a Cosmo three years ago that I still think about and it apparently like makes your stomach look tighter. You just like rub this cream on and like you have like instant six pack. I don't know. But sometimes when I'm having a really insecure day, I like think about that cream. <laughs> just like in the back of my mind, it's there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. I think the invention of Spanx is a funny, is a funny thing too. I think on one hand it's great. I know people who wear Spanx and feel confident and you know finally get that extra little bit of oomph they need to, to wear that, that dress. I love um, my Spanx. I think it's great, but I think like the amount of Spank like copyrighted products that now exist, it's not now just that little extra thing in your stomach. You, there's Spanx for your arms, for your legs, for your everything. There's like a full case. body like from like <laughs> like above boobs to like knees. You can get like a suit. Yeah. And it just but it just, it's just going up, you're like, oh, you felt insecure about your stomach, we'll buy these. Now about your thighs, now wear these, now your arms. Soon it's just going to be a full, you know, head to toe covering because you'll pay for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Matthew was talking about, you know, using your dollar. Um, and I think looking at, at things like that is so important and, and buying products that um, actually do something but like that you're not just helping this company grow. Right, because I think the companies, people who are putting in advertisements, they would say, yeah, well, we sell it because people buy it. Yeah. Like, and it's true, people buy it. Like, that's what happens. You put out these advertisements and you put out these products and people respond. And we buy them. And if people stopped responding, then they wouldn't put it out. That's like the simple like rule. It just feels like a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there are also like huge problems. For example, Abercrombie and Fitch last year, their CAO came out yeah. and said that he only wanted skinny people wearing his clothing, which is why it wouldn't fit um, plus-size people when there were complaints. And that's a really appalling image that he only wants like rich, skinny, 
people wearing his clothing. Yeah, the words he used were like, the cool, we have a target market and it's like the cool, popular kids. Yeah. And I'm like, and they also happen to be the thin ones. Yeah. Like, that's the idea. <laughs> Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> that whole thing made me really mad. I hope their market shares have dropped. <laughs> but the thing is, you know that they haven't, right? And I think, again, that just speaks about how much we buy into something. But uh, last time we all got together too, we were trying to come up with ways that in our community here at King's we could promote being um, actively enforcing people to be positive and happy about who they are and uh, people had some really interesting ideas that were brought up there. Mm -hmm. Well I think something, um, this isn't revolutionary in any way, but um, I was sort of reflecting on it after we finished our last discussion and was thinking about how just like how easy it is to stop in, in the middle of the day and, and just like say something nice to someone mm. um, and how much that changes your day, you know? If you're having a bad day and someone walks up to you and even if they say like, your hair looks great today, uh, like it, it picks you up. Mm -hmm. And I think just taking the time, uh, you know, when you see someone you maybe haven't seen for a while to just stop and say like, wow, that's a nice blazer. <laughs> <laughs> it's something little, but you don't, you don't think it has an effect on you. But if you can think about the last time that maybe someone's done that to you and you realize like, yeah, like that actually had an effect on me and, and it kind of, you know, keeps morale up a little bit. Your hair actually does look really nice, Kate. Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know anyone at Kings that wears a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you are in a position now that is so remarkable that you can talk about this. Mm -hmm. You can have conversations about this. That is why this event here we are talking is so important my when I was young when I was a teenager and a young girl and, and a young student we had nothing nowhere to go no one to talk with none and our parents would say well you'll figure it out because that was that generation it is just now it's beginning I think to be really the doors are open, the windows are open to you. And that's why I said in my introduction, talk, discuss, put it out there. Make sure people understand where you're coming from. And then think about how you live your lives, you know, and share that with your other, with other students, with other young people. You have an incredible world in front of you where you can win a lot of battles because you're speaking out. And I think as far as we've come, which I agree is very far, that we can sit in this room and record a conversation about body image and body positivity. I still feel like um, in some respects there's a far way to go, as I was saying earlier about like the use of the word fat and applying it in a non-negative context that still makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. And if you bring up, yeah, like an issue about um, body image or portrayal of bodies in the media, like if I were to say, well, I don't see that many women of color in the media, and I think that's an issue of, of racism in advertising, that makes a lot of people extremely uncomfortable. And so I think as far as, far as we have come, we, 
we need to keep going and we need to keep talking no matter how uncomfortable it makes people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because I'm sorry if um, my opinion makes you uncomfortable, but... <laughs> Ellen and I were just talking also about, um, you know, I can... Let's say I'm feeling really down and I really think I need some kind of counseling. I can call Dow Health, which is great. And I can book an appointment and my appointment will be in like a month or two months. At the earliest. Yeah, at the earliest, right? So university is a time everyone knows like that's it's a, such a vulnerable time and it's such a hard time I think for people our age an especially vulnerable psychological time and the fact that we don't have adequate mental health resources in place at universities which is like a hot spot for mental illness mm -hmm. I think is crazy yeah um, especially somewhere like here I don't know it feels like kings should just be more conscious of that and i know we have spaces where people can talk about those things and that's really important too but there are other components that need to be that are still missing like mm -hmm. i was saying yeah. definitely no one thing that should be noted is that lots of times people think that it's really difficult to get help like for example what michael just mentioned about dal health and having to wait a month or two for an appointment that's actually not true currently mm -hmm. if you call in you have to call in about like once every day but um they slot you in as soon as you can and uh and they can do it but um one thing i find is that people our age don't always know where to go to find help or know how to do it or sometimes they don't even realize that they have a problem mm -hmm. and i think that's a really big issue because people are so insecure about having problems and they just want to live their lives and pretend that it's perfect even when maybe they really need support and it's funny because if you look at the number of support organizations out there and actually start there are so many like there's the south house mm -hmm. patrol on campus is trained in peer support i believe mm -hmm. um we have this group here there's a ton of um, groups over at dal um and i would say that almost every person that you meet on campus with only a few exceptions would be happy to help someone out but people don't realize it and it's funny how blind that we can be mm -hmm. um, uh, an organization that I really do want to highlight they're called the mental health mobile crisis team mm -hmm. um, this is literally people at any hour of the day who will drive to you <coughs> if you are having a crisis of any sort you just need to talk to someone even if it's over the phone um, or if you need a doctor to come see you, if you're in any sort of crisis, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can phone them, they'll come to you. Um, and they have fully trained doctors um, who are there to support any kind of problem you need. Um, it's a really great resource. Uh, it was something I was largely unaware of until recently. Um, and I think just knowing that's there, um, because maybe you know a week is too long to wait for an appointment. And so if you need to talk to someone, there are definitely people uh, there um, who can be there at the drop of a hat, which is a really amazing sort of support system, especially in a university city like Halifax. Mm -hmm. I think a big problem too is that a lot of people don't think the problems are worth talking about at all. Right. Because um, I remember in um, my sixth grade, I had some I, my friend. Well, I had a friend who died, and I felt really annoyed about that and kind of really depressed as a result. And 
I remember I mentioned uh, I wanted to kill myself in class, and then that led to my parents being called, and I ended up getting a bit of trouble as a result. So I, from after that, I was kind of afraid to talk about whatever problems I had, and um, then leading into grade eight, um, I never really had any necessarily problems with body image um, until I hit puberty a little bit later than most of my friends did. And I started to get pretty fat as a result compared to what I used to be like, which was really, really skinny. And I remember I hear people telling me, oh, you look fat now, <laughs> including my uh, aunts. And uh, people make like jokes about it and stuff. I mean, I guess it wasn't necessarily supposed to be um, mean or anything, but I definitely like from then on I was really self-conscious about what it looked like mm -hmm. and I found like whenever I talked about that sort of problem I'd just be you know told that you know don't worry about it it's probably fine and <laughs> I used to love going to the beach before that but then after that I'd be you know I don't want to go to the beach anymore because I'd have to not wear a shirt <laughs> and uh, I don't know it's just I feel like um, a lot of times especially with guys they're not supposed to really feel like they can talk about whatever problems they might mm -hmm. have especially if they have like some sort of maybe apparent weakness like if you're depressed and you you know, maybe that's too sensitive for a guy to be like her or something like that. Or maybe it's just a phase. But even if it's just a phase, it can still cause a lot of problems. And I think it's definitely still worth, you know, mentioning, <laughs> at least. Yeah, I think, like, something that goes along, you know, we have all these images of skinny people and, and, you know, macho men and all these things too, but something that people really don't take into consideration is, is the mental state. And, you know, I jokingly was with my friend and they couldn't lift something and I called them a girl. And he actually stopped me and called me sexist. He said, "Don't you like you realize you're perpetuating this idea that girls are inadequate and they can't do, you know, these things that girls are perfectly capable of doing." Um, and I caught myself because I, you know, wouldn't call myself sexist, but uh, I was, you know, perpetuating the stereotype that girls are weak and girls can't lift things and it's a man's job. Um, and just even by saying that, I realized that it was insulting to my own gender. <laughs> So we, this evening, I feel, is exactly what we set out to achieve mm -hmm. when we came together in that focus group a long time ago saying, we are talking. And I think this proves the point. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for coming out. If anyone's listening, I'd like to thank them for listening. Uh, <laughs> A big part of this project is just to start conversations, so even if you're not here tonight, um, talking to your friends about it, talking to your peers, um, and just making things okay to talk about is really important, especially at this time in our lives. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty big time. Um, we are going to have a number of other discussions this year. Um, we would love for anyone to come out if they're interested. Next time, we're going to be meeting in October, um, the dates. We have two meetings for each subject, so we have, as you've heard tonight, a preliminary meeting. So it's going to be on October 9th from 6.30 to 9. And we're going to be talking about environmental issues. Uh, this is a subject that's pretty close to my heart. Um, and just sort of the idea that we were kind of born into a generation that's been handed uh, shitty cards. Uh, and that we are now left to deal with the environmental uh, decision-making of past generations. So if you are at all interested in taking part in that, uh, dates will be posted all around campus and we would love to hear from you. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts?
I just want to say I'm really happy that we could all be here and we could all talk about this because like Ian said, um, I've had enough of not talking. So I'm glad that we could. Mm -hmm. Thank you.